This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Does a detox from scrolling online make you happier? We spoke to one student researcher, Sarah, who believes it just might. So what does she want you to know about your social media usage? Principal Lisa was on hand for all of you stressed out parents over the Christmas holidays from snacking to sibling rivalry. We found out how your home can win some serious accolades in the Better Homes latest competition. Why aren't more women investing? We unpick that with an industry insider. And Ludmilla Yamalova on hand to answer all of your legal queries, including legal ages. And is it legal to have a dash cam? Social media, an ongoing hot topic, but we hear so often from the grown-ups, from the doctors, the sociologists. But what about those people who are truly affected by it and perhaps have got the power to affect change? 17-year-old Sarah is with us now and she's had her school-based research project, which is titled Investigating the Effects of Social Media on the Well-Being of Teenagers. It's been published by the Teacher and Education Research Association. So I guess I just want to say congratulations, first of all. How are you? Thank you so much. It truly is a privilege to be here today. I'm so happy to have you here because we, we talk about teenagers in such kind of loose, abstract you know, oh, teenagers are having a tough time or, you know, the impact of, of X, Y, Z on teenagers. But we actually very rarely get the opportunity to hear from people in that group. And I'm so curious why you chose this subject to focus on for this project. What, what were some of your reasons behind it? Well, first of all, this part of um, my project was part of my extended project qualification at school. Um, and at GEMS First Point School, um, we have this research opportunity um, as an opportunity for us to kind of pursue our passions and embrace curiosity. And so after the pandemic, I realized that teenagers especially have been using social media excessively, Mm -hmm. like to a very unhealthy extent. And so I wanted to investigate whether that had long lasting effects on their well-being. So in my research paper, I looked at whether it impacts their concentration levels, whether it lowers their self-esteem, whether it disrupts their sleep, and how in turn that would affect Um, negatively affect their daily performances in school. I want to hear about your findings, but first I want to find out about that research. How did you start to conduct that? So um, again, as I said, it's part of my extended project qualification and we were assigned a mentor. So it was very personalized. But overall, I had a plethora of support from all my uh, all the faculty, uh, faculty members at FPS from different subjects. So especially the psychology department, because I did look into well-being. So how did you start to gather data? What was your process? So the biggest chunk of my research paper was the experiment that I conducted. It consisted of 39 FPS classmates. um, And basically, essentially what I asked them to do was I gave them a happiness quiz called The Pursuit of Happiness. You can find it online. Um, And I asked them to complete this happiness quiz before and after taking a social media break for 33 hours. The the happiness Mm. quiz had... um, Questions like how often do you spend on social media? How often do you exercise? How often do you share your feelings with others and do something nice for others? And uh, what I found was a statistically significant difference after um, taking a break from social media. Can I ask why 33 hours? What, why that amount of time, Sarah? I mean, you would think it's not that long of a time, but I actually asked around 100 people. 42 agreed and three withdrew from the experiment. So <laughs> surprisingly, it actually was was a pretty long time for them. So when you're talking about, 
I guess social media usage really peaking during mm. the pandemic. And I think I think I mean I don't know, you know. Um probably the continuation of those habits post pandemic. Okay. How much use are we talking in terms of hours per day? What were some of the findings that you uh, came across? I mean, from my findings that I found from my questionnaire, um, I basically added all the hours and it was up to two days, two full days per week on average from 42 Whoa. people in my school. So that was <laughs> crazy. What were you most surprised about in terms of some of the data that came back on, on well-being in particular? I mean, it was kind of, it wasn't really surprising that they were a lot happier. But again, a lot of my results kind of differed. Like some people were actually less happier. Mm -hmm. Some people were more happier, but the majority were happier. What I find so kind of conflicting personally about social media is I find it incredibly useful. To, you know, it is. Because obviously from the social side, and that's in, is often communicating with people that I know in real life and then obviously extending into into digital space. But I used to buy a lot of magazines and newspapers and that was where I got a lot of my information from. It's where I might have got ideas for what to wear and what to buy and places to go and, you know, interiors and food, you know, and th that it was that, you know, that kind of holding a paper thing that would I find a resource and now, well, for one thing, magazines are crazy expensive um, if, they're, if you're looking to buy an international one here. Um, but we've obviously got the immediacy of social media now. So it, it plugs so many holes for so many people, but it is so often demonized. And I wondered, what did you feel about, I guess, some of the positives of social media? Were some of your kind of respondents often reporting, actually, we feel better for using it for these reasons? Yeah, so from my questionnaire, um, the majority of my participants stated that they use social media for entertainment and mm -hmm. for a sense of escapism. Mm -hmm. Escapism in a sense that they want to be more optimistic about their future, whether that's a dream career, a dream university. So it's looking for yeah, like, inspiration and aspiration. Yeah, exactly. But then that's the comparison piece, isn't it? Because then you're like, yeah. okay, why are they on holiday here and I'm not? Or exactly. look at, you know, look at their wardrobe mm -hmm. or their home or, you know, when you get older, their children, their partner. And I think learning at an early age to avoid comparison or to certainly understand that social media is a highlight reel rather than the real exactly. deal. So yeah. what do you, for anyone listening today who is a teen, a young person, based on your findings, what would you like them to know about the effects of social media and well-being? Well, from my questionnaire, 47% stated that um, social media lowers their self-esteem. Wow. And um, based on previous research, uh, there has been a co positive association between screen time and depressive symptoms among adolescents. So again, I, I know that communi uh, communication and information is a big positive effect of social media. But then again, um, the question goes to whether we really need social media for that because we do have other sources. Mm -hmm. And the majority also stated that it increases their procrastination levels, 70%. <laughs> I felt like yeah. you were looking into my soul when you said that, Sarah. <laughs> I'm looking into my own soul when I say that. <laughs> So 70% uh, said that um, it, they use social media excessively before bed, which has been, previous research has shown that this leads to disruptive sleep. Mm -hmm. Again, lowers concentration in school, negatively affecting their uh, daily performances. So what about then, I mean, my kids are, uh, are younger than that teenage group, but, for, you know, for parents of tweens and teens, what do you think, 
we need to know about the effects of well-being and I guess how to navigate that with our teen. I think it's all about being more attentive when using social media. Um, like you need to be more aware when you're going to social media for a purpose rather mm. than just aimlessly scrolling yes. on social media. As the hours slide by. Yeah, exactly. So being more purposeful about that use. Yes, exactly. It's, it, the thing about social media is that it's obviously not going anywhere. You know, and it's, it's kind of up to us to, to learn how to navigate it. And, you know, you're a generation that's always had the Internet. You know, social media has been a big part of your life. Probably, in fact, exactly. it, you know, it's, it's just it's just not going anywhere. But maybe there needs to be more taught, whether that's at home or in school, about responsible use, about mm. purposeful use. Mm. If you could kind of wave a magic wand and change something or introduce something to really help teens with their relationship with social media Sarah what do you think it would would be useful um I think just like being more attentive when using it and also just being a little bit more aware of why we're so addicted so um for example my secondary research has shown that um there are specific design techniques implemented into social media platforms one especially has a psychological explanation behind it called positive intermittent reinforcement which is every time you scroll up your screen you get that loading icon but you don't know what's coming up next mm -hmm. you'd think that's just like loading just loading information it's just the internet but it's doing a little bit more than that. It's the same design technique that's being used in slot machines and it's an unconscious habit that's being implanted into users. So they're building that anticipation and, yes, and then exactly. when it loads, you get that dopamine hit. Exactly. And it becomes chemical. Exactly. Like dopamine is um, a happy hormone. But then again, I when I said, okay, it increases dopamine activity levels in the brain, which make, means it makes you happier. So I was like, okay, what if it varies between consumer to consumer? So I looked at active consumers and passive consumers, and I found that it's hypothesized that if you're an active consumer, um, you're more likely to be, feel a sense of connectiveness mm -hmm. um, from you know, your society and from people around you and have a higher sense of well-being than if you're a passive consumer. You're just behind the scenes. You don't comment. You don't post, et cetera. You're a bit more of a lurker. <laughs> and what about the responsibility of the social media companies? What would you like to see change there in the future? I mean, I think they need to be a little bit more about the serious effects and it's so common nowadays and I know it's all about like business and money but like it's a little bit more than that now it's, it is yeah. we think about as you're saying the volume of time spent on that exactly so I, I just want to say it's been really fascinating to talk to you and hear you speak so eloquently about a topic that I think we all need to be a little bit more engaged in and huge congratulations on having this published are people able to read it is there a yes. way of accessing it How? yes so it's online um, I published it by Eurasia Research it's the 20th International Conference on Teaching Education and Learning it's organized by Teaching and Education Research Association so it's found literally online you can find it anywhere and for I'm just curious about you now because I think you're amazing um, what do <laughs> What are your plans for the future? What's next for you? You're year 13, so A-levels 2023. And then what are you planning in apart college. from world domination? <laughs> university. I'm uh, applying to universities in the US. So I'm looking forward. Oh, it's wonderful to have such engaged young minds on a topic that I feel like so much of, you know, we've got so much to learn. So thank you for all of your time spent. And thank you. Um, if anyone does want to find out more, I will get that link from Sarah. Really do appreciate your time. And uh, I'm expecting great things from you in the future. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have encouraged me to put my phone down a little bit more. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you. If you do want details of that paper, investigating the effects of social media on the well-being of teenagers, drop me a little line and I will get it to you.
She is a former nursery principal, nanny, a mum. She now is an expert across all sorts of different behaviour and, and social situations, plus known as the potty training queen, Principal Lisa, who has been doing a little turn as Mrs. Claus recently is joining us live to take your questions. How are you? Oh, I'm really, really well. And actually, today is a day without my uh, wig on. Good. I'm glad we can see your natural hue. Well, before we get to some of the issues that I guess a lot of families are facing at this time of year, because it's a, it's a pressurised time. You know, kids are off. There's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of routine that's gone out the window. Um, I want to ask you about some of the expectations that kids have got at this time. What are some of the most popular toys that you've had little requests in your ear about? So for the last um, few weeks, I've been resident um, as a Santa's helper at the Western Roast. And so we've been collecting letters and then I've been calling Santa on my old vintage phone to put the requests through. You're a good woman to know, Lisa. Yeah, well, do you know what? I do think it did help out one or two parents. One funny one was this, this little girl wanted a puppy. So the mum said to me, please, can you talk her into a hamster? <laughs> you downgrade to a smaller rodent. So apart from living, breathing toys, what else? Um, Barbie Dreamhouse. Oh, my five-year-old asked for one. Yeah, Barbie Dreamhouse. It was a flat no. Do you yeah. know how much they are? I don't actually. I went into Hamley's, by the way. That was sensory overload a few weeks ago. 2,800 rooms. I was like, not happening. Oh, Sorry. Gosh, yes. They did say like, but you do get two Barbies and you do get this. I'm like, no, nah, that yeah. is absolutely well, not happening. Well, when I was a child, but we dad used can to, build you one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I was a child, we used to get books and, and stack them up like in like in a tower house with books. That was how I did my, I would have loved a Barbie dream house. But yeah, so everyone wants Barbie dream house. Another do. really popular present is a skateboard. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, a skateboard um, and Lego. And then this other one, I'm going to try and pronounce it because I get, I got asked for this so much yesterday. Squishy Mallow. Squishy Mallows, yeah. They're really, really popular this year. My kids haven't gotten onto them yet. They're just like a sort of a puffy like a, like thing. A, yeah, like a little soft toy thing, but it's kind of squidgy. Yes. Yes. So here's my question to you. <laughs> How can we talk to our children about gratitude at Christmas if they don't find necessarily that Barbie dream house or the master, you know, the Lego system of their dreams under the tree? Because... Our kids, you know, and this is not criticism, they're not very good at masking their feelings. And I I don't like the thought of my kids coming across as being ungrateful or rude, especially if that has gift has come from a family member. So I think it's about managing expectations, managing our expectations of them and then managing their expectations, you know, of Christmas. So of if they are celebrating Christmas. So yesterday I spent a lot of time with the children and they were chatting and telling me things. And I was kind of talking to them. And I was like, well, you know, we can't always have everything that we want. And, you know, some presents are bigger than others. And, you know, there was that conversation. And I could see that they were processing it. They were thinking about it. And obviously, there I am. I'm dressed as Mrs. Claus. So I'm in that kind of magical position. But I think it is about a conversation and planning ahead. And also maybe having some key phrases already. So mm. what do we say if we receive a gift that isn't quite what we'd hoped for? What do we say when we go for dinner, you know, at Auntie Joan's house and she serves up Brussels sprouts and that's not how you eat them. Okay. Having your key phrases already in place. The food thing I'm finding a bit worrying this year because we're all going to be together and my younger one in particular is not a great eater. And we've said to her very clearly, we're not going to be cooking you a different meal. 
So we're going out tomorrow night as a family of four. I think we're going to be talking about expectations. But I, that, that, it is a pressurised environment. You know, everyone's around the table, everyone's eating the same thing. And I'm not really sure how to navigate that with her, to be honest. I think about setting setting that up. So what things could you eat? Let's imagine if you had... So it's like playing a game. Mm-hmm. Imagine you went for dinner and there was pasta, bread, um, a sauce. There was it. What would your options be? Also, if you know that it's something that, you know, could potentially be there as an issue, you can take something separate. So at least giving her half a chance. If there's stuff there, she just yeah. won't eat. Because actually, it doesn't to be feel upset. nice. No, exactly. Exactly. I want to come to the text lines. There's actually a message that came in through social media um, saying sibling fights. Yes. <laughs> no name. You might be my spirit animal. Saying our kids, boy eight, girl six, are driving each other insane this break. Constantly in each other's space, teasing, telling tales, we can't justify the costs of camps this year, so they're at home with our nanny and it's getting violent, dot, 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 which feels pretty ominous. Yes. There is, there's a lot of people talking about the bickering. We've got lots of kicking and pushing into each other and telling tales like this listener saying, what's going on and what can we do to diffuse it? Because it's really stressful for everybody in the house. Yeah, so I did actually a call this morning at- very same, very same kind of thing with um, the the fighting at the moment. So we looked at what was the holiday routine, what was the predictable routine, because what was happening is is there was a great long periods of time where they were just left to their own devices. And I don't think we should be going out and going to all these amazing places all the time, mm-hmm. but that we do need to have some kind of where we're getting out of the house. And children are a bit like dogs. You have to take them for a walk. <laughs> yeah. You know, they do. And you're better off getting that done first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. OK, so a bit of, a bit of air about them. The, the thing for us is it's like they both need time apart and it's very hard to f- facilitate that when people are working. Um, and at the minute, I'm just like, OK, you can go into your room and you can read a book there. You can do your reading eggs on your iPad there. Just don't look at each other for for an hour, please, because it is, as this listen saying, kind of getting violent. What's really interesting is that we know that children are less likely to fight when there's not an adult present. Yeah. When we... <laughs> when it's ringing a few bells, yep. Yes, <laughs> so a lot of the time the fighting is for your benefit mm-hmm. as the adult because I, I, I want you to see that I'm miserable and I'm not happy. Yeah. I want you to choose me over my brother. <sighs> I want you yes. to spend more time with me. So actually sometimes removing the audience and giving them an option to try and work it through themselves and letting them know when you will be available. Mm-hmm. So in one hour, I've set the timer on my clock. I will be coming out of my office and we will be doing this, this and this so they know what's about to happen. Sometimes it's a long stretch of a day of not really knowing when we're going out, when you're finishing work yeah. and promises that aren't able to be fulfilled. Well, it's funny you should say that because both the girls were awake at half past five this morning. My husband got up with the dogs at that time and I was still sleeping until half six. And he was out for that hour and they knew he'd come back at half past six. I said, I'm not coming out of my room until six o'clock this morning. And I could hear them playing really nicely, yeah. really nicely. But you're absolutely right. As soon as I'm in the equation, it's, she did this. I can't believe she knew me. I want some time with you alone. She had 10 minutes with you yesterday. Like, it is exhausting and the sad irony is it makes you not want to be around them 
It does. It does. And I know what you mean. But you see, children do love a bit of structure and a bit of predictability, mm. even in those holidays. And if they know, right, okay, mum's going to finish work at, at 4.30 today and she will have 20 minutes with me and then we'll swap over and we'll have another 20 minutes. Mm. Actually filling up their kind of little love bucket in that oh. structured way can really help. Lisa Sharrington Boyd with us this afternoon. She's taking my questions, but most importantly yours, on some of the tricky things we're dealing with when it comes to our kids at the moment, from babies up to older children, and because she is the potty queen. Uh, Dina's saying, Hi both, would really appreciate some advice. Last week, our two and a half year old started refusing to wear her nappy, which is great, but we fly tomorrow. Now, this is a bit of an overshare, but my mum said that apparently I did the same, decided on the morning we were flying to Ibiza back in like 1984, that no, no, that was not for me anymore. How on earth are you supposed to navigate this kind of milestone that you think you're going to have a bit more control over when you're in a state of flux and, in Dina's case, travel? I think it's an interesting one because, so why has she said that she doesn't want to wear nappies anymore? So as adults, we think, oh, that's that sign. That means it. That's She's it. ready. She's ready. And there's this whole ready thing that I think sometimes can actually be quite misleading in potty training because we know that we know that physically, physiologically, she's probably been ready since she was 18 months. But it's the emotional readiness that 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 has to come. Mm -hmm. So what is it that she's looking for here? Is it that she's seeking some independence and some control over a few things? Are you changing her stood up would be my first question. Because maybe she doesn't want to lay down in that traditional baby position of on her bottom, on her back, on a changing mat. So instead put on some pull-ups like you put put on a pair of pants. Yeah, have you done that? I mean, she may well have done that already, but... If that, if you haven't done that, start there. Okay. Start there. So do your do your nappy changes. Stood up. Go with pull up pants. So up and down. So she's got some autonomy, some independence, and shift. You know towards that but just because she doesn't want to wear because it could be I just want the blue cup but you don't necessarily say oh okay you want the blue cup so you're going to have it. Mm. It might not mean that we're about to do the potty training. It just may be that this is one thing that she wants to make a point of independence over. Um, Lisa, a lot of people are travelling um, this week and into the weekend. And I am thankfully at the stage now with a nearly eight and nearly six year old that they will be delighted to have the opportunity to sit and watch TV for six hours. But with really little ones where they haven't necessarily got that attention span and you, you haven't been kind of working that muscle any tried and tested tips for the kind of, I guess, the under fours, toddlers to under fours on long car, but probably more likely plane journeys? What's worked in the past? Those, they're called squidgies. Do you know the things I mean? And they can stick on anything. Um, Yalla Baby have got them for about 19 dirhams. So I, could, okay. I know that exactly. They're called squidgies. You get a pack of them. I'm Googling right now. Go, mm-hmm. And... The, and um, and what they are is they suction on. So you get a bag of them, all different colours. And so you think, well, why is that interesting? Well, you can obviously, if you're sat on an aeroplane, you can put them all over your aeroplane window. You can do them in formations. You can hang things off it. Oh. You can stretch things across it. You can do all sorts of things with squidgies. Oh, okay. Um so that's 19 that's, dirhams yeah it's on yellow baby 19 dirhams squidgies if you go in the play uh, the toy section i've i've sent this to a few people today because we've been talking flights they're really good 
Um, you know, blue, blue. Um, it's like a plumber would use this tape, blue tape. Yes, like a, yeah, like almost like electrical tape. Yeah, like electrical tape. Okay, so get a freezer bag and cut them up into sections. So you've got small strips, long strips. That's one thing. Now that again just seems like why on earth would that be helpful? <laughs> but you could, when they've gone to the toilet, that you 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 tape loads of toys and different things all around their space and they have to rescue them. So the tape is usually really reusable. Mm-hmm. You can also do tic-tac-toe on the window with it. You can do anything. You can tape. Lisa, you should be a sky nanny. They should be able to borrow you for a journey and you can just sit and entertain a toddler while mum and dad catch up on some movies and a bit of a snoozle. What, honestly, what a service. Um, we've run out of time. Um, we haven't run out of questions, unfortunately. I'm sorry we couldn't, couldn't get to any, but if anyone wants to contact you direct and avail of any of your advice across behaviour, but of course, toilet is, uh, is often the one that where you are you are required. What's the best way of reaching out? Well, they can reach me on Instagram and then get my WhatsApp number or email me. I'm always happy to hear from people. Last question from me. The endless snack requests. One bit of advice, Principal Lisa. Well, I, I think if you pack the snack selection for the morning into a packed lunch and you say help yourself all day, then nobody's going to be bothering you and asking you. It's already there. They know what they can have and what they can't have. Like it. One last question from a listener saying, does the Potty Queen have her own YouTube channel where she shares her, shares her insights? Instagram, the best resource. You've got some fantastic videos there as well, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, no, it's all on. It's, I haven't learned how to use YouTube yet. <laughs> but I tell you what, the reels are funny. They're informative. Lisa Sheridan Boyd, you're an absolute superstar. Oh, Please pleasure. put your feet up. You work so, so hard. And I hope you're managing to get a break over Christmas holidays. I am. Good. I am. If you do want Lisa's details, drop me a little line on 4001. I'd be very happy to share them. Talking money now and research highlights how men and women often show differences in how they use money, feel about money, communicate about money. And some of those differences inevitably come from how we were raised. You know, we all have different memories about finances and different lessons taught to us based on our demographic. But what we're seeing internationally and certainly here in Dubai, which is what we talk about now, is um, a bit of a lack of women investing, being proactive in that area of their financial life. So we're bringing in the experts this afternoon. Savant Rashid is the board member, founder of Hedge and Sachs in the studio to explain a little bit about the demographic that you're working with and perhaps hopefully encouraging and educating um, us a little bit more about why women should be investing. How are you today, sir? I'm absolutely good and really thanks for having me here today. It's a pleasure. So let's talk then a little bit about your demographic. Are you seeing much of what I just discussed, you know, that being mirrored here -hmm. in the UAE, that the majority of those investing are male? Yeah, that's uh, something is my observation personally when I talk about on my company level that uh, majority of the investors are male and they are very proactively looking out for investment because they um, have that intent of uh, growing money mm-hmm. for their family, for themselves. They keep planning out things. And see, it's a very obvious thing that um, since uh, what happened when you are so much out in the market and you interact with the people so they you keep engaging with the other people that okay how you are doing mm-hmm. how you're investing mm-hmm. and then how it happens that 
interest actually inculcates in your mind as well that okay i also should do something like that but at the same time we see that uh, in our complete portfolio it's a hardly 10 to 15% women are there who are actually as an investor that we need to um uh, we need to highlight things to them that why you should do it and how it should be so that yeah what are some of the barriers or the obstacles or the mindset that you're hearing from women about why they're not investing um uh, it could be um i wouldn't say to generalize this uh, question in a very um uh, easier way but i'll say that it's a very subjective situation with each and every woman when it comes to um, have an exposure to an investment opportunities so um, if i did, like see if we generally classify this in a two different class so if i talk about the women who are actually have to do to a job and then they have to come back to it and take care of the family so mm-hmm. they have they are into a area where they, they don't have a time right and there are few women who are into completely housemaking things so they are too much into family so they don't have such kind of a time or maybe availability of exposure and the options to get interact with the financial advisors and consultants to find such options of investments mm-hmm. so that's how i think that let's uh, i think i think is also okay i'm saying this is obviously as a yeah. woman um i think it can feel a little bit other i feel like you know unless you've got a family who really teaches you because it's not taught in schools or it certainly oh, wasn't when i was absolutely. when i was when i was growing up that this is available to you this is the language that's used around finance this You're isn't right. some you know boys club although it it, it is <laughs> yeah. um or it can feel that way um that this is something that you can be engaging in and unless you've got someone who is very proactive around that it can it can feel like something that's very hard to get past because there's an awful lot of people making an awful lot of money who want you to feel stupid because you don't you know you're not bright enough or you don't know enough or you haven't got enough money to do this and that's Correct. absolutely not the case Correct. see uh, if i if i talk about the financial capacity and the taking the risk capacity of an individual mm. so it's a pr- more or less same between the male or maybe female because everybody is uh, into something or the other in terms of earning money so for the first thing for this thing for this particular thing i'll say that they should understand that what is their margin of saving how much they are saving now and how much is the exposure they can take in the financial market as an investment and further they also should know their risk and the liquidity they have to be in So do you think when we think about risk adversity male versus female have you noticed any patterns over the years even though you have got quite a small you know data group for the, for the women's side um since I, if i talk about the um, ratios between the male investors and the female investors of course what i can see that the male are much more risk taker and uh, since of course um there could be one more reason since um, women have to like take care of a lot many things inside the family and outside the family We've as got well got the emotional labor to think yeah, about as well so they they keep we shouldn't they, they, they have to sit on high liquidity at the at end to just to encounter any situation coming up What I find one of the biggest misconceptions about finances in the family is that a lot of people think that and and this is you know first of all women tend to earn less mm-hmm. wrongly but but we do um but we often make the more decisions in the home whether that is where we live what we drive school that our children you know we're often responsible for making those big financial purchases and decisions so i do wonder why we've still got this gap <laughs> to you know why can't we be more financially independent especially when we look at investing in particular um i mean i invest it's something i've kind of made a, a bit of a mission in the last year to educate myself on mm-hmm. and you know my husband and i do that separately and keep an eye on each other's little i'm up by the way currently beating him um <laughs> but i feel like it, it sometimes 
we've spoken this on the show just very recently about financial abuse. You know, a lot of women stay in relationships because they don't feel financially independent or, or able to leave them, which is heartbreaking. And absolutely, could investment be a way of someone, you know, bolstering their, their money um, and making some decisions that might make them happier? A woman's relationship with money is often more complicated than it is for a man, and for good reason. On average, women don't make as much money as men. We also live longer, meaning we need money for longer. But for some reason, we generally don't make investment decisions like men do. We're unpacking this a little bit now on the show and taking your questions with Shivan Tereshit. He's a board member, the founder of Hedge and Sachs, which said earlier about 10 to 15% of their clients are female. So an enormous gap there. Message here is saying, I don't understand the financial lingo. And I don't think you're alone in that. As I said earlier, I think a lot of people like to protect this lingo and make people <laughs> feel like they're on the outside to make you pay money for one, for one thing. Um, what can be done around financial literacy then for not just women, but anyone who does feel like they're on the outside of investing and, and be able to get a foot in the door? Uh, I will suggest um, for the people to... Uh, just get engaging, start engaging with A, B and C lessons of these investments. Then only you'll at least start understanding that how it happens and how what are the basic things which you should, which you should know. Mm-hmm. And the best part is that once you're into it, you'll start having those interests because it's all about making money at the end of the day. There's some really great books, podcasts, um, Facebook yeah. groups, I would say, um, that are really more like communities that can can really help people feel a little bit more empowered. Correct. Um, but I wanted to ask your tips on how women in particular can start investing. What would you say to anyone out there who says, I absolutely do want to be investing more in 2023, but I don't know how. What would you say? <laughs> well, I'll uh, suggest some steps on that that how you should actually think of start investing if you are just um, very at the initial stage of even thinking of to invest. First, look for the fiduciary who can actually advise you on a very, very um, transparent level where should you go, who should be the advisors you should go with, and of course, the financial institutions, because they will help you out in understanding the credit worthiness and depending on your portfolio, where you should go. Secondly, you should go with a consultant that they can actually advise you that where what is your financial capability capacity and what is the level of risk you can take. These two are the major steps you should take first and then you should plan your investment because um, if, you'll, and if you'll go on internet and you'll, you'll try to find that, okay, I want to invest and I have which is the best investment opportunities across. So you'll, uh, ha- you'll end up having endless number of options. So and also everyone's got a different circumstance and everyone's looking for someone to make the same decision as you because it validates <laughs> your your own decision. Um, what A question here saying, um, what's a minimum amount to invest? I think that's a really good question because a lot of people go, well, I haven't got a spare 100,000 dirhams <laughs> lying around, so I'm, I don't qualify as an investor. What, what, what would you say to someone who's coming to you and saying, I want to get into this. I want to start building my money and diversifying my portfolio, whether mm-hmm. that is, you know, I've got my emergency fund, I might have some property, mm-hmm. um, I've got, I'm slightly liquid, but what would be a minimum amount that someone could perhaps start investing with? Uh, uh, first, I'll say that um, it could be even 500 dirhams if you want to stand in your investment with, and it could be 5,000. So there's a, it's not a limit 
do anything you can invest but the only thing is you need an appropriate plan where how you to should go into it so if you have something that you get okay if you have a, some xyz amount of salary and then you want to uh, save around 25% of it and how much you out of that 25% how much you want to put into your mm-hmm. investment so you should come with those plans first and if you already have some savings huge savings then you should actually diversify your investment in such a way so that that it cannot hit your money in a longer run because you are investing to grow your money at the end of the day so both the opportunities both the um, fund levels have different kind of requirements to invest in thank you so much for your time today i think it's always well worth um <laughs> has all kind of taking a little moment saying why haven't i done that why should you know should i do this um and those numbers are quite staggering in terms of the sheer lack of women investing and uh, maybe next year people will have a bit of a workshop on this here at Dubai 103.8 we'd like to see more more women thank you so much so much really do appreciate your time uh, speaking to us from Hedge and Sachs Not one but two guests in the studio today. We've got Rich Wayne with us. He's the MD behind the top 50 homes contacts. It's primed by Better Homes. And Nam Clark is here. She's the founder of the design studio, interior designer and the judge. One of the ones you need to impress if you want some very glittery accolades for your taste. Rich, tell us a little bit about the top 50 homes contacts. Where did this idea come from and what are you looking for? Hi, Helen. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Um, Well, where did it come from? The idea actually, like, all good uh, ideas came around, uh, stood around the barbecue about a year ago and throwing some ideas around. And look, Better Homes has been in the marketplace here for 35 years. We've been selling some of Dubai's best homes for 35 years. And we thought we would like to share some of those homes with the world yeah, and, and show them. exactly, celebrate them, show the world really what Dubai has to offer. We speak a lot about property, but we don't always get behind the door and uh, see what's in there. So and, we thought and, it'd be fun. And aren't we nosy as well? I mean, I used, I used to work in property and it, my favourite thing was like getting the photos it's so back. so fun to just it's explore so people's much, homes. Because exactly. ev- everyone thinks they've got good taste. Everyone thinks they've got good taste and a good sense of humour. And, <laughs> and um, you, you have ve- very much got good taste. Tell us a little bit about your job aside from being a judge on the top 50. So what I do actually is training in interior design, fashion and the arts. So we have a studio dedicated to the arts world really and we specialise in adult training. So people can come in just to take a couple courses or they can have complete fully fledged diplomas with us as well. So this could be something for people to enjoy or could be a complete career pivot. Exactly. And that's exactly what we try and facilitate at the studio. So we, we are really celebrating great taste, great design um, and shining a bit of a spotlight on some of, as you say, which is the incredible homes here. Mm-hmm. So are there categories and let's talk about eligibility to enter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, f- first thing to say is anybody can enter. You know, it's open to everybody. If you feel you have a home that you want to share with the world and you think it's something truly special, truly wow, please enter, nominate the property and let, let us have a look at it. It's open to homeowners, of course. It's also open to designers, interior designers, um, uh, garden designers, kitchen designers. If they want to nominate their clients as well, they need to have the homeowner's permission, of course. And it's also open to developers. So it really is open to anybody who wants to get their uh, property seen and uh, see if they can uh, win, win some awards. I bet you're looking forward to seeing some of these. Tell us a little bit about what you're looking for as a judge. So there's a few topics that I want to touch on while looking at this. So 
Firstly, there's a section where you are describing the property. I want to make sure that description actually matches what we are seeing visually. <laughs> so that's actually quite important. So that we call that a brief in interior design. So I want to see if the brief is actually fulfilled. Um, I want to see the overall style of the home. I want to see soul in the space as mm-hmm. well. So I don't want these porcelain doll type houses. I want to see homes. So homes are full of love. They're lived mm. in. And that's what we really, really want to see as well. I'm really well. glad you said that because I think a lot of people feel quite intimidated by interior design and think oh my gosh that's gorgeous you know I love looking at that on Instagram but you know I can't imagine actually a family living there exactly and this sounds like it's a celebration of life in Dubai exactly it's a celebration of people it's a celebration of how they live Mm -hmm. their homes so you know even quirky little bits I want to see I want to see that styling that really shows who you are as a family so I think the descriptions as well as the imagery is is going to be really important for me do you have any design pet peeves? Things that oh God, mm, yes. Come on. All right. The, 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 How much time do we this have? This is useful information for anyone that fancies their chances now. Um, so pet peeves would be, um, so I have this big thing about style and VS themes. So a style actually has, uh, is stemmed from a period in history. So for example, traditional design or modern design or, you know, art deco. So these things are actually real styles. So we want to see one or one or two styles. So a lot of designers mix uh, within a home. I don't want to see lots of uh, sort of splattered styles around the home. And I also don't want to see themed houses. So for example, you know, the beach and you have lots of seashells and sconces Uh, everywhere. The reason I'm laughing is when I worked in property, it was in the northeast of England and we used to sell a lot of footballers' homes. There were a lot of um, Moroccan... um well, you could have been in a Moroccan restaurant. Well, there you go. Or, but they had a pool table. And you're like, oh, yeah. bless. You've got so much money, but no one's helping you spend it properly. You need the help. That's why we're there, the interior designers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so style over theme and prestige and trying to trying exactly. too hard to be something that perhaps doesn't come exactly. naturally. Exactly. Okay. And then the soul of the space as well. Mm. So as I said, I touched on this previously. So I want to see it being lived in. I want to see a home. Mm. So that's a big thing. Rich, tell us a little bit about the prizes. What's, what is in store for anyone that is getting third, you know, second, well, first? Well, other than being, you know... Accolades. Uh, the accolade of, <laughs> of course. Um, so the, the, to run through the process very, very quickly. So we've got a, about another month where people can nominate their homes. We've then got a really busy couple of months where we're going to go around and shoot all the homes, create video content for all those homes. And then Anna and her fellow judges... They're going to um, do most of the judging. We're also going to open it up to the people, so you'll be able to go online and you'll be able to pick the public will be able to vote for their favourite home. And you know, we hope there's an element of competition and uh, the competitive edge might. We want kick people in. using their social media. Exactly, Absolutely. exactly. So then, in terms of prizes, we will be having a gala event a little bit later in the spring, and at the event, there'll be prizes for best kitchen, best garden, best interior design, and overall best home. Uh, which will be taking place in, a, in a, probably around April. A um, message here saying, how to enter, is there a website? I'll let Absolutely. you tell Absolutely. So it's more. www.top50homes.com and that's 5050. So www.top50homes.com. What's your um, 
what's your design pet peeve or anything that you particularly like, Richard? Oh, my design, that's a, that's a trick. So I, I've got three kids at the moment, all under seven. So my oh, design pet peeve trenches. is walking in and standing on some <laughs> upturned leg, Lego. Lego. That's probably my biggest design pet peeve at the moment. I know, I know. Storage is an absolute blessing. Absolutely. And like, let's yeah, yeah, just yeah. clear all of this. And I think any parent listening today will identify with that. Yeah. This wasn't what I had in mind. Well, the, we were going to be neutral. I, I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most generally is because we live in such a wonderful part of the world and this is such a wonderful time of the year I really get excited about the gardens the outdoor spaces that the transition between the indoor space and the outdoor space that's yeah. what I'm really looking for because I think for a lot of people who do buy here that's that's the clincher yeah. isn't it thinking about how can we entertain how can we enjoy especially yeah. now this beautiful weather and and really kind of make it our own what about ages of properties because I mean I live in a villa that's been around i think around 25 or 30 years and then we've got Ooh, obviously ancient co- for dubai it's well old <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully it's been renovated a few times over yeah, the years absolutely. um but so we've got these older properties those kind of jumeirah properties like mine that you know at some point had those awful kind of relief flower tiles in the bathroom and you know all the dubious bathroom suites and then you've got obviously complete new builds you expecting a, a spread of kind of eras of dubai I th- we are and we want to see a cross-section of dubai we want to see i'd love to see some local homes i'd like to see some Jumeirah homes I'd like to see some new homes we'd like to see some apartments and penthouses so we really are looking for and the beauty of a home yeah exactly one diversity it's going to be a reflection of Dubai spot on and the beauty of your home is even if it's a little bit old mine's about 35 years old so probably slightly older maybe we're neighbours we're Al so not (laughs) a million miles away Um, you know you can you you can renovate it and you can change it and you can Mm. give that older home a new lease of life and again that's what we're looking forward to seeing for anyone who've had a message going, can you tell us more about the courses? That's nice. Tell us a little oh. bit about where people can learn more about learning, as you're saying there, interiors, arts, fashion. So the courses. So we're based in the courtyard uh, right opposite Al Sakal Avenue. But we also have an online platform. So our courses are all stemmed around people's lives. So they're one morning a week over four weeks. Um, you can check out all of our courses on our website, www.thedesigners-studio.com. So everything is there. What's coming for 2023? Oh, we just have launched a very exciting new fashion diploma and also a finance diploma. So that is up and coming uh, alongside, obviously, our main portfolio, which is our interior design. Um, Rich, we've been talking property on Dubai Mm. earlier today, and I'm curious what kind of trends you're anticipating for 2023, whether it is particular areas, places that are doing well. If someone's sitting on some money and thinks maybe I'll take the plunge in January, where would you be spending? Oh, you put me on the spot. Look, I, I, I think, I, I, and this isn't me trying to sit on the fence. I really do think it'll be much of the same as we go into next year. And I think a lot of the 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 factors that are driving the market today, people moving here, businesses moving here, and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. will continue. So I think the market will continue its momentum. Where I see real value and where the real eyes of the world are on at the moment are anything with a beach front yeah. is really red hot, and also any independent villas. Independent villas, you know, your springs, your ranches, those sort of places where, frankly, developers are not building them again. Mm -hmm. They're building lots of very large luxury villas and they're building lots of townhouses. But those independent villas, I think, will continue to do very, very well. And rentals, we're seeing a real spike in prices of those as well. That's why I'm sitting tight. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) For the rest of my Dubai days. Um, another, <laughs> another message here saying, please remind us of the website. So if you are thinking about whether you are as you're saying, a homeowner or an interior designer, a garden designer, someone who wants to have a bit of a spotlight shone on their work and celebrate that beautiful home that you live in or have worked on, what's the best way of getting in touch with? It's www.top50homes.com. 
So if you fancy getting your glad rags on for a big gala in 2023, you've got to be in it to win it. Absolutely. Both. Thank you so much. Really fantastic. And yeah, I'm desperate to have a look at some of these. I Thank think it's you, going Helen. to be absolutely fascinating. If you want that website, drop me a little message on 4001. Um, I'd be very happy to send that your way. And I'd hopefully we'll be able to get the winners in the studio next year. Okay, so. perfect. Done deal. He said it on the radio. It's on. Great to have you with us today. We have got Ludmilla Malava joining us from HPL Malava and Luca between now and five. It is your free legal clinic. We are going to be talking legal ages. We've got questions about CCTV and dash cams, defamation, um, multi-leveling marketing schemes, and more. So, Ludmilla, I hope you're not in full holiday mode yet with your hot chocolate and a and a candy cane because you're on duty this afternoon. How are you? I am well. I'm actually here with my bucket of coffee. Oh, good woman. Uh, so, right, we're set. Yeah, I am ready. <laughs> I need to get a bucket of lemsip. So I can feel myself getting sick. So I am, uh, I'm going to try and hold, hold off the sneezes live on the radio for the next hour and then sneeze my little head off after five o'clock. Let's, before good we get to, get to the, thank you, before we get to the text line, can we talk about some age-related legal matters? Because we've had many questions in the past about when can you legally work? What about being prosecuted for certain crimes? I think it might be quite useful to just have a bit of an overview of what legal age constitutes for different activities um, here in the UAE. Can we start with driving? When does that happen or can it legally happen? Uh, So driving is at the age of 18. Uh, At uh, about six months before then, you can obtain a learner's permit uh, and learn how to drive. But legally, you can only obtain your driver's license once you have turned the age of 18. Okay. What about getting married? Uh, getting married is also the age of 18, but the age of majority is 21. Oh, interesting. Go on. Yes. And this, and this, and this is, and this is, and this is how, uh, sort of prompted perhaps this research a while back is because in the UAE, it's a, it's a well-known fact that the age of majority is the age of 21. Now, what does it mean? If the age of majority, what's the definition of the age of majority? Ultimately, age of majority is, is an age at which point you can do basically everything. You can work, you can drive a car, you can get married, uh, you can sign documents, you can own your own company, you can have a bank account, and so on and so forth. So you're a full-fledged member of society uh, with the ability to not only study, but also have companies run businesses, uh, earn money and uh, run financial transactions. So that's ultimately in short what the age of majority means. However, in terms of specific items such as getting married, it's the age of 18, uh, driving is the age of 18, uh, working is the age of 16. Ooh, you could even good. work at the age of 15. Yes. So there, <laughs> indeed, indeed, there are certain provisions for, for starting at work at uh, from, the, from the age of 15. There are certain uh, certain uh, uh, conditions and limitations that are attached to the work of uh, starting to work uh, you know, from from that age, but ultimately, yes, you can. You are uh, they're called juveniles. Mm-hmm. We can start from the age of fifteen. Uh, then, however, for stu- uh, so one big question for us was uh, to sign legal documents to make. Uh, representations and and take on obligations. Mm. At which point, what age do you need to be to sign documents, for example, right? So again, that usually means the age of majority. Once you reach the age of majority, then you can sign documents on your behalf. However, if for you can, as a student in the UAE, you never need a guard. I'm talking about university student. You never need a guardian to sign any kind of documents. 
so not and, and and by the way, non-students are also able to obtain a work permit at the age of 18. Okay. Uh, and students can sign documents on their own behalf without having to have a guardian. Uh, so, and usually students, again, that, that starts at the age of 18. So, at least as far as certain institutions are concerned, perhaps less commercial, but more educational, uh, students do have the ability to sign their own documents uh, after the age of 18. Also, uh, perhaps, I'm not sure if you would know this, you, you look very young, <laughs> but until recently, the, you could not open a bank account until you were 21. You could oh, not gosh. open a bank account. Yes. However, now I'm hearing that a lot more banks are offering a lot more uh, flexible arrangements. And now you, uh, once you reach the age of 18, you can now have a bank account. Okay. Yet. Oh. Yes, yes. So you can start making money. Yet uh, running a company or mm -hmm. owning a company or having shares in a company or setting up a company, which is also typical in the UAE, you still need to be the age of 21. Okay. Uh, so even you have, even, and, and this question also came up in the context of all these uh, influencers, uh, youth, the new sort yeah, of, young the new, uh, mm -hmm. exactly, young entrepreneurs that are setting up business that have some social media presence and, and ultimately are making money and, um, uh, doing quite well at it. So, under which legal structure can they do, can they do this? So, while well, some way you can now you see you can have a bank account. Okay, you can have your own social media profile. You can have your own website for that. There is no age limitation. However, to do it legally on a on a more commercial scale, uh, you are required to have a license, a business license uh, that matches your activity. And for that, you still need to be the age of twenty one. Okay. Uh, so then, and then okay. there is also okay. the persecution. Uh, so mm. uh, who can be that? That comes up often enough, and I think in, on our show we've talked a lot about, you know, youth that commits all sorts of crimes and such. Uh, so under sort of under the the Wadima law, as it has come to be known in the UAE, which is the child's protection law. Uh, so anybody who is below the age of eighteen is considered to be a child. So in terms of protection for children and domestic uh, abuse and such, so they are covered by that law. Anybody who is uh, below the age of eighteen. Uh, and uh, in terms of um, prosecution, uh, of, uh, there is different, it's called a juvenile law. There is a special criminal and penal law for juveniles. So, for example, anybody ready for this? Anybody between the age of zero to seven years old, basically, there is no, um, that's not a competent age for any kind of criminal prosecution. Mm -hmm. Now, anybody who's between the age of seven and 15, uh, actually has been, uh, but not yet quite 16, uh, then there is, um, the judge will order sp uh, special measures that he deems adequate. So there is already criminal prosecution, remember age from 7 to 15. So there's some kind of criminal prosecution, but it is really uh, more appropriate for, I guess, uh, as, as the judge deems it to be, and more appropriate for the, that age. And then from the age of 16 to 18, uh, now they are considered as juvenile and covered by the juvenile uh, law. But at the age of 18, 19, they're not, no longer considered juveniles in the context of the criminal law, and so on and so forth. So this, it's you, you asked me early on, uh, give a quick quick summary, quick, quick summary, and it's not really a summary. It's it's a quite a long and and expansive table of different categories. So, uh, but but the the simple answer is, if you're at the age of 21, you can do everything. You can be persecuted. You can have your own company. You can have a bank account, and you can work and drive a car and everything else.
I'm Helen Farmer, joined by Ludmilla Malava. We are here to answer your questions, and when I say we, I don't mean me. I mean Ludmilla Malava of HPL Malava and Peluca. Um, we're going to go to the text line, anonymous message here, Ludmilla, for you, saying, my boyfriend recently moved in with me in Dubai. I own the property. I just wondered if my boyfriend pays me a monthly amount to help with mortgage and bills, would he ever have any legal claim over my property if we were to ever break up? Grateful for any advice. Love this question. Well done for thinking this through um, right now. What does this listener need to know? Indeed, my compliments as well to, for being so proactive and forward thinking. Uh, so the short answer is no, he will never have a claim to your title, to the title of the property. Uh, I guess ultimately he might have a claim for refund of uh, this cumulative amount uh, on the basis that, well, he basically, I mean, he come up with whatever re- the reasoning might be. Uh, let's say that he helped you, that he funded you, that he, uh, that you needed this money. So that is one element that you may want to think about. So it's not towards your property; it's more just a, towards a, a refund of what he may later allege as a loan. Obviously, I'm thinking the yeah, worst. But scenario. since the question came up, <laughs> since the, yeah. the question came up, so one way to do it is just to have an internal document that clearly shows that uh, th- these funds or this money is uh, towards the uh, towards payment of rent. It doesn't have to be formal rent. It doesn't have to be um, registered of anywhere uh, but just an internal document would help you uh, this also might help in the event that uh, depending obviously on the amount of the rent but if the rent is consistent it comes in from his account every uh, every month on a regular basis a bank may ask questions mm-hmm. as well what is this mon- money uh, why it's coming to, or, to your account on a regular basis so in that particular case you might also be will this particular document or this agreement with your boyfriend uh, would come in handy okay good advice great question um no name on this master saying is it legal to install CCTV outside of our villa, e.g. looking into the street. So uh, anything to do with CCTV and and video cameras and any kind of capturing of of, of data of any sort, really, uh, there isn't any specific law that makes it illegal. However, because it depends on a guess perhaps the angle of of that particular uh, footage. Uh, or camera, uh, and therefore the resulting footage, uh, and B, what you do with that footage. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have CCTV uh, installed in a way that it captures your neighbor's house uh, and all the goings uh, in in your neighbor's house or uh, any other, anyone else's private property, Mm Okay. Um, that's that would be illegal, and it's not illegal because the, there is a lot that says CCTV in a particular context is illegal. It's rather because in the criminal law in the UE Penal Code, it states that any kind of breach of privacy is is criminal, and so that would constitute a breach of uh, privacy. Uh, so, or if you have, for example, your CCTV is pointed at uh, locations and objects that should not be filmed, such as. Uh, some government options. Let's say if you have, um, if your house is close to some kind of a, a semi-government or semi-government authority or entity, that would also be legal. Uh, so, so that that's basically the angle you need to think about: is there some sort of breach of privacy, or is there some kind of, uh, uh, I guess, videotaping of locations that Very otherwise sensitive. as you know, should not be yes, sensitive? Um, and we- then that's one aspect. And the other one: what do you do with this footage? So, yes. if let's say if you are taking, uh, if, if if the camera is working and and you got uh, it's it's not really 
breaching anyone's particular privacy, but let's say something happened right outside of your house and this footage uh, captured it, and then you take this vi video and you post it on social media to, for example, shame and name and shame someone. That would also be illegal, then, but that would be illegal uh, on the grounds that um, uh, you have defamation, for example, a breach of reputation and so on and so forth. Um, and we had a message in a similar vein saying, are dash cams legal in the UAE? I guess all, all of the above would apply to that situation as well. There's an, yes, but there's an additional angle to that, and that is uh, how it's positioned, where it's a position, is a position in a way, or, or does it have the effect of, for example, endangering the driver or creating additional circumstances which otherwise would make driving unsafe? Uh, so that, that would be another angle. Okay. Thanks for that, Miller. Um, we are, I've got a number of questions about scams, actually, which we're going to come to after half past. But hopefully a quick one here saying, can you sue someone for defamation for spreading medical information? There's no more details than that. But is that enough for you to go on, Miller? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's two aspects to it. One is defamation and two is breach of uh, privacy mm. because anything to do with your medical information is your own private data. Uh, so uh, you can basically sue under both of those grounds for breach of uh, privacy uh, and for defamation. Obviously, if it, the, the details of the medical data would have that result. However, what I do want to make clear is that anything to do with defamation or, for example, breach of privacy, at least in the, in the ordinary course of uh, things, uh, is covered by the UAE crime and punishment law or criminal law, in other words. And therefore, you as a, as a citizen, that's not your capacity to file a, a case against the person uh, for criminal matters. It's for the state or for the government to file. So when the question comes up, can I sue? Well, you can't personally sue, but you can report the crime to the authorities and then the authorities, if they deem this to be a crime, would actually um, have the capacity and would file a case against the person. Once you have a criminal judgment, for example, then on the back of the criminal judgment, you can file a civil case for compensation. Uh, or some sort of monetary value on the back of a criminal judgment. So that there, in a civil case, you can be a party to the case. However, in a criminal case, it would have to be the state. Okay, hope that helps. Ludmilla Malavert joining us today to answer my questions and yours on all things legal. Ludmilla, let's talk property. No name on this message. Saying our landlord has approached us to increase our rent. The increase is far above and beyond the RERA calculator. According to RERA, there is no actual entitlement to a rental increase at all. They've informed us they will raise a request for a, quote, valuation of property lease. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this. Would love some advice. Thank you. A great question. Yes, it, there is an option uh, in um, at RDC to request for property reevaluation or property lease reevaluation, and that is the value of the property. So that that particular service is offered by RDC. There isn't really much that the tenant can do in terms of navigating uh, until that request has been finalized and and the reevaluation has been issued. One, and then two, even with that report, let's say the report has come back and, and it states that the property is at 30% above, um, above its current rental value. And, but even with that document alone, it's not necessarily the case that uh, the rent increase can be, first of all, unlimited. Uh, there would be a, sort of kind of a limited margin of increase, one. And then two, it, it still remains to be seen as to how RDC views these requests in any particular uh, circumstance. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it may be, for example, that even if the property has uh, increased in value to the rental value, uh, but there is a notice period, maybe it needs to be done 90 days before and it hasn't, so that, that would not allow the landlord, even with that kind of report, to raise the um, rent. 
But ultimately, because the service, the sort of service does exist, the presumption is that uh, RDC will seriously consider these kinds of uh, requests and therefore will allow for a rental increase on the basis of that new rental amount. But still, the increase would be uh, marginal in terms of in line with the current RDC uh, regulations. Okay, that sounds hopeful. Um, Please keep us posted. And as as Lamilla says, there's not much you can do right now. So sit tight, wait for that to come through and go from there. Um, Question for Lamilla from Anonymous saying, there's a small case, is sorry, is there a small case court for filing an unpaid invoice? 3,000 dirhams for services render. Client is not paying. Do I have to hire a lawyer for such a small amount of money owned? I own a maintenance business. Business. So three grand, clients not paying. What does this system need to do? I love these kinds of questions for a number of reasons. So one, so the small claims court exists in the DIFC. Uh, and uh, so it's not the mainland court, it's the DIFC court. And it's called the Small Claims Tribunal. Uh, now, you don't necessarily need to be based in the DIFC to avail yourself of their services, but you do need to contract into their jurisdiction. To do so, you should include as one option. So option is to include on your the invoices, the DFC as the court of jurisdiction and the DFC laws as, as the applicable laws. And then once you have done that, the, the advantage of the DIFC is that it, it is a small case tribunal. Uh, it is all parties represent themselves without the enrollment of the lawyers. And they are, and it's all in English and it's all online. Uh, so for these sort of uh, matters like the 3000 dirhams, you will be able to do everything online and without having to hire lawyers. So that's one option. The other option, <clears throat> depending on how you prepare your documents, uh, perhaps this is the time to reconsider and redraft your do- documents. You should have a document uh, before anyone, uh, before you provide your services uh, that where the client or customer acknowledges they have received the services and therefore they have they owe you this amount. Mm-hmm. If you have a document like that, it confirms, yes, this invoice is due for payment, then you can file even in the local courts, you can file what's called a payment order. A payment order is an administrative request basically for a confirmed for a confirmed debt, commercial debt. So if you have a document that confirms that there is a commercial debt that's owed to you, then you can file this particular payment order request. And that, the only limitation there perhaps is that it needs to be filed in Arabic. But these days with Google and there's so many different tools that it doesn't have to because you file, you can file this out in your own person, therefore it doesn't have to be proper legalese, so to speak. Yeah. You can uh, you can do it in, in layman's terms and it could even be in somewhat of a Google, Google Arabic. Uh, the courts do entertain this kind of request, in particular because this request is more administrative in nature, not substantive. There isn't anything to argue just to show, hey, listen, these people have confirmed that they owe me money and they're just not paid. That you can also do on your own. You could do it at the Dubai courts and all the other UAE courts are now almost exclusively available online. So all the services would be filed online. And it's also and the payment orders actually decided within a day or two. So these are some of the, uh, and they and they, they are very uh, insignificant in amount. And so they're basically in payment orders or in any kind of request, it's a 5% of the amount uh, of the value or subject value. So in this particular case, you would ultimately very de facto have kind of small claims tribunal, at least in the sense of, uh, of the courts, because it is it stems from the amount that you are uh, claiming. That's really good information for any freelancers out there or um, anyone who has their own business. So really hope that helps um, and all the very best. Keep us posted. And we've had a couple of messages about scams. I'm using scams in, uh, you know, inverted 
my, my fingers are wiggling in the air. Um, no name saying, I fell for the mall scam. You know the cosmetic shop where the ladies give you a sample at the door to lure you in. Tap products on your face and hands and before you know it, you leave the shop with products you didn't want or need a thousand dirhams poorer. I googled the brand after purchasing, of course, and they're known for fraudulent practices. Furthermore, the creams are just some cheap hemorrhoid cream made in China and it's unclear whether they're approved by the FDA. There's even a Facebook group for scam victims. I can't believe I was so stupid. I feel embarrassed. I haven't even told my husband. On The terms on the receipt say they don't do cash refunds and they make you sign the receipt but I'm wondering if it's worth trying to get my money back or complaining consumer protection. I'm I'm conscious I might need to take this as a very expensive lesson learned so to know I'm not the only one who's fallen for it would also help. That's why I use scam with the wiggly fingers, Lyudmila. What does this listener need to know and is there any recourse? Uh, Yes uh, there are different kind of recourse in terms of commercial uh, refund or commercial recourse is perhaps a little more limited because that would require ultimately going to court uh, and that may not be worth the effort uh, or uh, unless the the party would uh, voluntarily refund you the money if you complain to them Mm -hmm. but that's unlike exactly I was going to say that's unlikely so the other two recourses the listener said one is to file a request to the consumer protection uh, but remember, with the consumer protection, it's less about you getting you getting a refund, and it's more about uh, protecting consumers in a way of disallowing uh, unauthorized practitioners to sell items that either not not effective or that are not authorized. Uh, so uh, it's not necessarily the case that you will get your money back. However, we have seen consumer protection as uh, act as as a leverage. Uh, where the supplier or retailer would get worried enough to want to give you money back so that you don't pursue what's the next option, and that's the criminal case. So you could you could file a case to the police uh, and uh, argue that, first of all, that they, you've been defrauded, you've been scammed, um, perhaps that also you've been missold something. And all of these are covered by the criminal law. Uh, and um, but once again, as I said earlier, this would be this would be up to the police, uh, i.e., uh, uh, up to the states to decide whether they want to actually pursue this. But since the retailer is based in the, in the mall, I think it's certainly certainly an argument for the police to want to be involved because there's a greater uh, you know this segment of the population of consumers that might ultimately be affected. So I I think if you do two things in combination, uh, and that is filing a uh, consumer protection request and also uh, reporting this to the police, then you might uh, have some some headway with at least uh, making sure that these kind of this this particular retailer is not operating. Okay, hope that helps. Please keep me posted. I find this really fascinating, to be honest. Um, and I guess it's a case of buy beware for anyone else listening today. Um, no name on this message. Lumina saying, I left two child car seats outside of our rental property. I believe the building management mistakenly thought they was, the seats were trash and we found them in the community skip. CCTV has likely captured this, but I'm unable to access. Can I raise a case about property damage? You could, but I think it's not a worthwhile case. First of all, was the property actually damaged? I mean, that's because I, I didn't understand. I, I didn't. I don't. I guess I would not necessarily conclude that a child seat being moved from place A to place B, even if place B is uh, closer to a, a trash site, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the goods have been damaged. So, first of all, you need to make sure the goods, are in fact, actually were damaged. But let's say if they are significantly damaged, uh, then. Um, there is an argument that I, I, I guess I wouldn't pursue it because there's always an argument from the community management companies that listen this against the law or against the community rules to have any kind of property sitting in front, outside of your apartment in particular 
uh, if it's something bulky like the the seats. And so we remove them in the interest of security of other residents. So it's, a, it's I think it's a legitimate argument and also depends on how long your seats were sitting out outside of the property. So it really depends on the circumstances. But as I mentioned early on, I would not... I would not necessarily pursue this because I think it's not worth it. Yeah, uh, time, time. The fight, but the effort. fight and the time, yeah, <laughs> ultimately just learn from it and uh, and just talk to the community management company and, and have that discussion with them directly. Thank you. I want to come back to them all. Um, we've had a message here saying, I have a question about multi-level marketing schemes. I've seen some people in my social circle full prey to what sounds and clearly seems to be a multi-level marketing or Ponzi scheme. And they even deny it's a scam while trying to sign more people up for it. I've also come across small kiosks and malls where they try to gain contact details under the pretext of signing people up for a free raffle draw. It's clearly a scam where they contact everyone and try and sell the scheme. My question is, how are these companies able to operate and even hold conferences where they sell the scams? Is there a legal loophole they're exploiting and getting away with it? The legal loophole only is that they have stayed under the radar. Uh, because these kinds of practices, and we've talked about this on the radio before, about advertising and marketing the laws in the UAE, and they're quite strict. Uh, so any kind of uh, misleading advertisement is against the law. Uh, any kind of uh, advertising period that are improperly licensed, for example, or not licensed at all, also would be against the law. Uh, so based on this question, there, I was thinking there's a number of violations, law, legal violations that I can identify so therefore, these are, not these are not legal loopholes. There are actual laws in the UAE to protect against each one of those. It's just the reason these companies are not allowed to operate, but rather operating, mm-hmm. is because they have just they have not been picked up by the authorities yet. Because let's say, let's face it, there's so many other uh, dealers out there that are doing sorts of perhaps unauthorized actions, since the authorities are not going to pick up on every one of them. And what often happens is that companies are set up in the most basic form. So for example, it's like some consulting company or some LLC or some kind of a trading company. And the actual license of the company does not at all match the activities the company is pursuing. So this is how they are legally so-called allowed to operate is that they do have a license, uh, but they are mis-selling the product or mis-selling services uh, in terms of what licensing activities they they have uh, uh, officially allowed or allowed to conduct and what is listed on, on their trade license. So there is a legal breach there as well. Uh, and um, yeah, there's a dozen more perhaps, uh, but until they are reported to the authorities, don't expect necessarily follow them to uh, uh, to be apprehended or, or fined uh, by the authorities just like that. So. Um, if you if it's, you think that there is enough of um, of there's enough of a case or there is significant enough or there's many of them, um, the best way to do it is to just report them to different types of places. And so one of them, the other, perhaps a piece of advice I wanted to give about the mall incident is that you can also report them to the mall, for example, the mall where these kinds of retailers are operating, and you believe that they are operating without uh, illegally. Uh, so similar, so what, whatever this multi-layered advertising, depending on where the retailers or where the suppliers are based, you can also report to the different authorities where they're located. Okay, really hope that helps. And I think uh, it's when it's when it's friends, isn't it? You're like, okay, just so yeah, careful, careful with the friends. Um, one last question. This is from Liz, saying we've been given five days' notice that our rubbish removal will now be charged at five thousand dirhams per year. 
and a new company will be collecting. Is this legal? We live in Umsakim. I don't know if Liz rents or buys, but it's Umsakim. I'd imagine probably rents. So it sounds like this service is no longer going to be free. It's going to be 5,000 dirhams per year and that's going to be happening in five days. Is there any recourse? Does she have to pay? Well, uh, it kind of depends on who is imposing this mm. charge. Let me just be practical in my advice. So let's say if it is the municipality type of authority or agency, in other words, a government authority uh, that has deemed this service now has to be payable because ultimately trash removal uh, is, uh, is is a service that is more or less, I mean, provided by a government or some government authority. So if it's a government authority that has made that decision, there's very little you can do uh, ch- about challenging it. If it is, for example, a management company that decided to add uh, a fee to it, there you can challenge it. You can challenge on different grounds. Uh, that first of all, that it's it's you know where, where is the ultimate authority who authorizes kind of an increase one two. Uh, there's got to be some kind of a grace period for people to prepare and budget for this. Uh, so um, um, depending on how, I guess, 5,000 is quite ex- exp- extensive of a, of a jump. Um, it would be interesting. What I would do now is I would re- inquire what what what's, on what basis they're authorizing this or they're demanding this increase. So there has to be some kind of regulation because even if it's the government, there has to be some kind of a circular uh, that says, okay, such and such agency has deemed uh, for this increase to be necessary and this is going to be the increase. So there has to be some sort of a legal basis or legal authority on on the, on the basis of which they are operating. Uh, so that's perhaps what I would do. I would start asking questions and, and asking for copies of documents. Depending on what you receive or not receive, you may also, uh, and as you rightfully said, depending on the person, if the person is renting or um, owning, you could also approach RERA, RERA or the land department and find out what this sort of increase because it relates to the properties authorized and uh, and if not then try to challenge it with them Limila, thank you so much that was a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the ua legal system we had it all on today's show really appreciate your time apologies to anyone whose question we couldn't get today we will put that aside for next week um in the meantime though you can find Ludmilla malava across all social media platforms fantastic resource for deciphering any guidelines or headlines and of course some uh, some great answers across all aspects of the law Lamilia Malava thank you so much wishing you very happy thank holidays you. indeed Hope you have a lovely rest happy take care of yourself bye Lamilia Malava there um, don't forget she is live with us every single Monday afternoon between 4 and 5 <laughs> And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.